This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Bookmark with me, Uma Paganampke Pagan. Joining me on the show today is Chris Zaya of Lonely Planet. They've got a new book out that's called Lonely Planet Global Coffee Tour. It chronicles over 150 amazing coffee experiences from 37 different countries, from its birthplace in East Africa to modern-day Cuba. And being an insatiable coffee drinker myself, I couldn't resist giving Chris a call. Yeah, hi, I'm I'm Chris Zaya. I work for Lonely Planet. I am in charge of sales and marketing for the Asia Pacific, but I'm also one of the long-suffering Lonely Planet writers who actually gets to go out and uh, do a lot of stuff on the road and review businesses, etc., etc. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Lonely Planet's global coffee tour, but before we get into the book, tell me a little bit about this uh, third-wave coffee phenomenon that seems to be sweeping the world. Yeah, it's really interesting. So one of the things that we certainly identified at Lonely Planet came out of one of our traveller forums, actually, which is which is Thorn Tree, where kind of travellers talk to other travellers. And we had a look about what people were chatting about, particularly when it comes to kind of food and drink. Um, and we looked at things like wine and, you know, beer. And actually, coffee kind of topped the list of the things that people were chatting the most about when it came to food and wanting to have these amazing kind of coffee experiences when they're out on the road. And that really ties into um, to the, this kind of third wave of, uh, of coffee that's actually happening at the moment. Um, and that's really, uh, it's really about um, where destinations such as Australia and New Zealand in particular are really have really preserved um, the technique of uh, making coffee and then they're taking that technique to the world. So it's less about the big chain coffee houses and more about... Um, the brewing techniques, the story behind um, yeah, behind the beans, the kind of ethical end-to-end process, um, and then just all these really interesting ways of being able to taste uh, coffee from a traveller's point of view when you're actually in destination. Um, and it's huge, so it's not just about having a you know a, a bad milky coffee anymore. Um, it's all everything to do from you know, kind of cold, uh, you know, cold brews through to kind of dripping techniques, um, you know, and some really interesting flavor combinations. And it's going to go, I think it'll go into a fourth wave now where people will be looking at similar to the way they do wine, whereas they'll actually be trying to source very, very particular um, regions where they're going to want um, certain beans from because it's going to produce a certain type of flavour um, that they'll only be able to get from that region. So not only are they just going to be looking for a Costa Rican kind of blend, but it's going to be a very specific region within Costa Rica that they're going to be looking for. So Chris, tell me this. You're sitting in the Lonely Planet offices and... How does that decision come about where you go, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to travel the world and we're going to taste coffee because it sounds like the best job ever. <laughs> and, I can, and I got to go uh, and do some of that research, which was absolutely oh, fantastic. Sure, Chris, we'll call it research. Fine. <laughs> I, got, I actually was pinging for, for several days, having drunk so much coffee. I was like, no sleep, just coffee. Um, but no, it was... We launched a, um, a food imprint um, a couple of years ago called Lonely Planet Food because right. we've basically been, 
Yeah, we've basically been recommending food experiences ever since we existed, you know, from the first book that we did, which was really about, you know, where can people find the best food when they're on the road? So we really felt that, you know, food and tra- food is such an important part of the travel experience. So one of the things that we've, um, we've really noted over the last decade is people have become more and more and more niche in what they've wanted from us. Um, so they're really traveling for very specific purposes. And it might be that they're doing, you know, they're traveling because they like, um, bicycling or hiking or something along those lines. And the same goes for food. So people um, have very much said to us they want to know where not just to find the best coffee in the world, but where to find the best coffee experience. And so it's very much about the visitor experience. So can I do a plantation tour? Can I sit and do a cupping ceremony? Will I be able to talk to a barista which will be able to tell me what they're doing properly in terms of that kind of end-to-end process of bean sourcing to what I'm about to consume? So it's very interesting that there's a great number of people that are out there that are looking for something very, very specific. Um, and that's why we went about creating this, this particular product, um, which I think is fantastic. And we cover 37 different countries and we've got over 150 different recommendations of experiences to have out, uh, out in the world, which is a pretty crazy thing to do. So in your travels and in your research, um, did you manage to find out any reason as to why coffee? I mean, why not tea? Why not a number of other drinks? I mean, how did coffee suddenly become this thing? And how did it spread so quickly? I mean, you guys track every place from Eritrea all the way down to New Zealand. Yes. So I think the answer to that is pretty simple in that I think that Coffee is very much driven by a lot of very, very passionate people. So there's a group of people that are out there that are absolute, um, you know, they're coffee heads and they're really driving that stuff forward. So that's one. And then, But the second one is more the element around um, that really time is the enemy of coffee. As soon as you've kind of ground, it, ground the coffee from bean, you start to lose the flavor, you know, you start to lose the flavor and the right. process straight away. So yeah, you can probably, you know, source some, um, source some, um, some ground coffee from online or you go into your local, you know, supermarket or local store and you can purchase it, but you're actually losing a lot of that flavor. So one of the things that's really come out is it's actually really best tasted in location. So the closer you get to the source of where that roasting is happening, the better the experience that you're going to have. Um, so, so that is also part of the reason why we wanted to create this product is actually getting um, our travellers right to the source of where they can have the best experience um, when it comes to tasting these things. I've literally come off, um, I was in Sydney a couple of days ago um, for a cupping session with, with one of the, one of the re- uh, cafes and roasters that we uh, reviewed within our book. Um, and one of the uh, techniques that he, he did in his cupping ceremony in terms of one of the blend tastes, it was crazy. I was getting green apple and plum and hazelnut. I then went back 15 minutes later and that complexity of, um, of taste had very much changed and it really dulled. So it was a really good example for me of where having that taste right at the source is such an important part of this process. You know, in the late 90s and early 2000s, it felt like wine was going through this phase as well. I mean, you're using very similar words and descriptors, um, only this time you're talking about coffee. 
Yeah, ab- you're absolutely right. And then, you know, getting back to my point about regions, we've got that, that's going to be the next thing that happens with um, with coffee as well, as people will, like we do with wine, and we talk about potentially we want to um, think about some wine from the Rioja region of Portugal, and we're going to get to a point where they're going to get really specific in terms of people sourcing, not just from Costa Rica or Nicaragua or Ethiopia, but you're really going to get down to a region within that particular destination. And that's going to be the next trend that emerges through coffee over the next probably half a decade. It's already starting to happen, um, but really is um, it really is starting to kind of balloon out. I also suggest that potentially those decaf drinkers that are out there, they're about to um, move into a very different way of, um, of tasting decaf as well, because I think a lot of growers have realised that there's a, a great opportunity to um, take decaf to the next level and rather than, you know, kind of leaving it, you know, as an afterthought, there are going to be decaf specialists that now start to emerge as well. So Chris, for people who don't know and, you know, I'm not one of these people, could you explain what a cupping ceremony is? <laughs> yeah, so it's like, okay, okay. It, does, it sounds a little bit dodgy, but it's not. Um, so a cupping session is where um, you can go into particularly a lot of, um, a lot of really great roasters um, and they'll actually do a pouring of particular beans and blends. Um, and the one that I've recently did, they, they poured out six. Um, they let that um, sit for 40 minutes um, and aerate. Um, so the flavours kind of come to the surface. Um, and then you literally take a spoon or a ladle and you slurp it up like a you know big bowl of pumpkin soup or something along those lines. And then try and really inhale to get all the... Um, get all the fragrances and tastes within the front of your palate um, and then you kind of move along and, um, and taste in that kind of way. It is a very interesting way of being able to get that flavour burst particularly in the front of your mouth and really get an understanding of what it is that you're drinking. Um, you know, you then can potentially even pick, you know, your favourite within that and actually then go and have a, you know, have a have an espresso um, and actually really taste what it, what it is like coming out of a barista's machine as well. Interestingly, a lot of those kind of techniques, they kind of veer away from milk. So they're like, you have to taste coffee in its purest form, which is in that kind of very much water on bean, very black uh, in terms of the way that you're tasting it rather than it being diluted uh, with any milk um, to, to kind of change the taste, uh, you know, the taste profile. Which is almost exactly like a wine tasting tour. You're, you're totally right. And that's where, um, again, this is the, the, the thing we've tried to do with the um, Lonely Planet Global Coffee Tour is, is really kind of showcase places that you can go and have these kind of very cool experiences so you get a better appreciation of what you're about to drink rather than just kind of like, you know, going, you know, getting a cup to go um, and, you know, downing it really quickly that you've got a real understanding of um, of what you really should be tasting. I mean, a lot of us are real novices when it comes to this stuff, but the more that we're, you know, educated in what we should be, you know, tasting in, um, you know, tasting through these profiles, the better we're going to be in terms of, in terms of understanding that, you know, that, that experience. I'm speaking today to Chris Zaya from Lonely Planet about our global obsession with coffee. More in just a little bit. This is Book Mark on BFM 89.9. This is Bookmark. I'm Uma Paganampake Pagan, and joining me on the show today is Chris Zaya from Lonely Planet. We're talking about coffee. You know, Chris, I mentioned earlier in the book, you guys cover the globe from Eritrea, Ethiopia, Japan, Singapore, Malaysia, all the way over to the UK, to Australia, to New Zealand. Tell me this, 
did was the experience and was the methodology and pedagogy was it similar across the world when it came to coffee or was it as varied as the way people produce wine and champagne and ice wine yeah so that's it's a really good question so some of it is is different but it all kind of stems from the same place if that makes sense so there is very much um, certain places that have that have gone from being really small batch roasteries to kind of like almost like um, you know servicing chains mm-hmm. to others that have kind of gone we haven't we haven't actually changed our technique in um, twenty to thirty years so which is very similar to kind of the wine industry isn't it so there's some that have been you know kind of very new wave and really at the forefront of technique and doing things really you know really kind of experimentally and um, there's others that are like we want to consistently do what we have done for years and years and years. But there's nothing wrong in any one of those approaches. What you end up getting is a different experience and and particularly a different taste um, from the products that they're producing. What we've tried to do in terms of the balance of the approach of the recommendations within the book um, is go everything from plantation tours. Um, so you can kind of see what it's like to actually source, you know, the, the bean at um, destination right through to kind of um, roastery tours where you're actually on site at a roaster and seeing how they actually um, do that kind of modern day technique in terms of it, it is incredibly scientific now right down to the kind of seconds in terms of when air is burst into, you know, a lot of these roasting machines. And so we've tried to be very, you know, put a broad brush in terms of the kinds of experiences that you can have and therefore giving um, the reader the ability to go on all those varieties of journeys, as you, as you rightly described, which can be quite, you know, quite different in terms of approach. You know, what's interesting, what's interesting is how global the Italian style of coffee has Become. I mean, we use terms like cafe latte and espresso and, you know, everything, ristretto, all of these things um, so frequently on a regular daily basis. And yet there are so many local variations in every country you've been to. I mean, you've got a little section on coffee oddities. Uh, we made it. Malaysia's Kopi Cham made it, which is coffee and tea, yes. which yeah, we love, yeah, yeah. which is great. Gives you diabetes, but we love it. <laughs> um, but but tell me tell me a bit about these coffee oddities and how they've become so localized. Well, I think it's all it, again. I, I'd use Australia as an example here. Um, you know, the in Australia we had you know it was we very much had that Italian technique of um, coffee making in particularly in Melbourne, and it was really preserved there. And then it kind of exploded across the rest of the nation. So you know, Melbourne was really known as the um, as the, the home of coffee in Australia, and that's very much, you know, changed um, over the years as as more um, destinations within us Oz itself has become really interesting. But each destination then has its own journey, and you're absolutely right. So, you know, India has its own, I think it's called the Monsoon Malabar, um, which is which is a very different kind of um, you know tasting technique um, in terms of the way that the um, the process has gone through. To you know, there's a sea salt coffee in Taiwan. Um, so I think we're all each destination has become very experimental in those things. You know, coffee features through a lot of food now as well, particularly a lot of desserts. Um, and then you move into you know things like you know um, cocktails as well. So it's become an alcoholic. Uh, a piece too, so it's really interesting in terms of where it's going to, where it's gone, and where it will continue to go. 
Hey, so we made it into the list, at least two places in Malaysia, both Ipoh and Kuching. Talk to us about how you narrowed that down. So that one comes down to really, so this is um, author selection. So the way that we do it is each kind of author is given a little, is given their destination of choice in terms of where they know, where they know very well. Um, and they basically go through and kind of go, who is the best, you know, what's the best visitor experience? Who is the best of this kind of experience that I want to recommend? Um, so the author um, of our Malaysia Singapore piece went through um, and actually made those decisions, decisions themselves to give the best example to the reader of the kind of experience that you would have. And it is really good to see, you know, IPO, we're, we're a bit of fan of IPO, aren't we, at the moment? You guys are. <laughs> We've, we, to- you featured Ipoh quite a few times now. Yeah, it's, it's one of those places that we, we, we keep bubbling to the surface for us. Um, but that's, that's one of those ones that we come down to author discretion in terms of they're trying to say that this is the best experience to have on the ground. And that's certainly the way I approached it when I did some of my Australian reviews. The coffee house, the I guess the hipster joint has become almost a destination on a lot of people's um, travel lists or to-do lists when they're in different cities, right? They, they seek out the coffee house now uh, for that pit stop on their long walking tours or whatever. Talk to me about the role of this coffee house in the traveler's journey. Yeah, it's interesting. I think a decade ago, we were we were probably thinking about places, you know, the big chains, kind of like the Starbucks is the place that we went and got our free Wi-Fi, right? That's right. <laughs> so, um, you know, this, and therefore, you know, we might have had a brew when we were getting our free Wi-Fi. But now it has very much become one of those things that I want to seek out. You're absolutely right. I want to seek out a really cool coffee experience because most of the time I will be potentially um, be getting um, something that's been roasted locally um, and I'm going to get a sense of the local community. I'm going to get a sense more of rather than having that very generic experience, I'm actually going to have something that is feels like it's part of the local community. It's probably housed in something that is a little bit different. I wouldn't necessarily expect it to be designed the way that it is, um, but it is very much, um, rather than going for that very generic experience, something that is incredibly individual to that destination. I was recently in London for a couple of weeks and what I found was I was in Bermondsey and that particular area has cafe after cafe after cafe which are located in the most interesting of buildings now. One was a one was in kind of like a really cute kind of old church courtyard um, and it was tiny and there was a huge lineup for people to kind of go in and, and it was incredibly interesting in this is actually now an experience that people want to have from a travel point of view because it's in an interesting location. Another place was actually they were featuring beans that had actually been um, been roasted in Dorset um, and that was their claim to fame and so therefore crowds of people going to actually go and experiencing what that particular roast was like. So it is very much now, rather than being just a place where we, we, you know, dump our bags and kind of try and grab some free Wi-Fi and, you know, drink whatever's on offer, to actually going and having a very individual experience that reflects the actual destination. So in your trips, Chris, in your journeys in search of the best coffee, what, one of the most unique coffee experiences you've had? Uh, look, I'm a really big fan of New Zealand coffee. So I think New Zealand is really very, very interesting in terms of, again, they're great, they're very, they're purists, the techniques are really quite, quite cool, and you can actually find 
really good coffee in the smallest of towns right up and down both islands of New Zealand. Um, and I think my, although I wouldn't have called it the most quirky of experiences, I think it's one of the better experiences where I was just kind of driving along in the in the bottom of the North Island and happens across what looks like a, sh- you know, a shack or a shed. Um, and it was actually, you know, it was a coffee house and she had a little roaster on the side where she was doing small batch stuff. I ended up sitting within that cafe for like the good part of two hours, chatting with her, chatting about the local farmland that was around the area, how she then contributed money back into her community. And for me, that's the kind of experience that I really, um, really treasured. Might not be odd, it might not be quirky, but they're the kind of things that coffee can actually do when you're out there and on the road. A few years ago, I was all about the apps and the internet and all of that stuff when I used to travel, right? I used to have everything on my phone and my iPad. And somehow I've taken a step back and I've gone back to the physical book. And I I don't know if it's a... You've gone old school. I've gone old school. I've gone old school. Yeah. And I don't know. It's not a question of convenience. There's just something a little more tactile. Now, uh, tell me what's going on with you guys, because you guys keep churning these books out. So obviously it's doing well for you. If not, you'd stop printing them. Um, Have a lot of people gone old school? I mean, are the books doing well? Yeah, so globally where Lonely Planet as a brand is actually in growth, particularly when it comes to guidebooks. Um, and again, I think what we've done is we, because all we do is travel. So that's, that's uh, you know, travel content is, is our brand. We haven't really tried to go and branch off to do, you know, fiction or something very odd like that. You know, the core of our business is, is travel um, and really good opinionated travel content. And what we do is we look really, really carefully at the way um, that people are traveling, the demands that they're putting on us in terms of the types of content um, that they want. So, for instance, the coffee tour book came out of, you know, a driver that we could see that there were a lot of people on our forums talking about coffee. We've recently released a, a series of guides to um, cruise ports around the world because we know cruising is such a massive global phenomenon and we'll do more of that. Um, we're also about to relaunch a whole heap of hiking and walking guides because, again, people are looking for really robust, good content um, on on hiking and walking around the world. So we're continually trying to look at the trends in travel and making sure that we're actually packaging content in a way that gives people the best advice um, on those particular themes. The other, the other key one that we've got is that a lot of people want smaller product. So they want lightweight product that they can put in either their backpack or in their, um, you know, in their carry on, even potentially, you know, within a coat pocket. So we are producing a lot of more smaller format product, um, to be able to service that need, which means that we can go really micro in terms of regions, um, which is actually really good too. So we can get really kind of super or hyper local, uh, which is, which is really great for us as a brand. Well, very, very cool. All the best to you, Chris. Um, And, you know, thank you so much for putting this together. I think uh, this is going to feature heavily on my next trip, wherever that may be. (laughs) You're going to be buzzing, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) I think I already am. (laughs) Great. Thanks, mate. Good Good to chat. I've been speaking today to Chris Zaya from Lonely Planet. You can find Lonely Planet's global coffee tour at all good bookshops. I'm pretty sure it'll get you buzzing. Get it? Get it? Of course you do. You're listening to Bookmark. This is BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.